Well, praise the Lord. Aren't you glad to be here today? Amen. Thank you so much, choir, instrumentalist. Thank you, Cole, for leading us. And over at uh, Mason Creek, we had Bo lead us this morning. Where There's Bo. I tell you, a wonderful job over there. Praise the Lord. Bo, thank you so much. And, you know, uh, we, we're doing everything we can. Cole is a worship uh, intern here, and we, we have one every uh, year, every semester. And uh, Brother Aaron's got two or three guys uh, he's, uh, that he's trying to uh, influence to become ministers of music and help. And he's doing a great job. All of our staff members do that. Uh, Jason's doing it in youth, and Brother Case, and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, Christy, Rosie, all of those have people that they're working together uh, to try to, uh, well, to try to work themselves out of a job. That's what they're trying to do, but we'll send them somewhere else and not, not, not have them here. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2 and 3 is where we are this morning. Uh, we started a series last uh, Sunday. Uh, overcoming life's obstacles. And we're talking about in Philippians chapter 4, the next four, five, six weeks, uh, overcoming anxiety and fear and worry and, and all. Last week we looked at uh, verse 1. It was stand fast. Stand fast in the Lord. We're in a, a battle and we've got to determine we're going to stand fast in the Lord. Today I've entitled this sermon, Somebody Ought to Be Worried. Somebody ought to be worried, but it ought not to be you. But somebody needs to be worried, and somebody in this place needs to be worried. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Beginning in verse 2, would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, Philippians 4, verse 2, I beseech ye odious and beseech Syntyche that they be part, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, you can use the word companion. Some of your Bibles will say that. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Father, thank you again for being in this place. We'd ask you, O oh Lord, uh, let the miracle not only be in the preaching. God, let the miracle be in the hearing. I pray that people would hear what you say today and that they would be responsive. They'd be obedient to the call that you've placed on every one of our lives. We'll praise you and glorify you and thank the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are two ladies mentioned here. Uh, Eodius. I, I pronounced those names really good last night, but something happened during the day. Uh, Sintechi is the other lady. Euodius means fortunate, prosperous journey. And Sinteki means fortunate. So these two ladies have beautiful names. They're wonderful names. I'm not sure how you'd pronounce all of them if that was your name, but they're beautiful names. But the only thing we know about these two ladies is they were fussing and quarreling. Isn't that something? I mean, beautiful name, but all we know is that they were at odds with one another. These two ladies were. Paul stresses unity in the Word of God. He stresses a militant unity in the midst of a world of unbelief and hostility. There can still be unity in the cause of Christ. That was his passion. It was also our Lord's passion. In John chapter 17, in his priestly prayer, the Lord prayed, Father, make them one 
like you and I are one. It was a, a scene in the book of Acts when the church began. It began in a spirit of unity. They were all in one accord. And that's not referring to a Honda. They were in one accord. They got along with each other. They loved each other. They upheld each other. Now, there's fussing and quarreling, but you don't have to live like that. You don't have to live as a worry wart. You don't have to live that. There are some things that we need to be worried about. I don't mean concerned. I don't mean maybe. I mean there's some of you in this building today, you ought to be worried to death. You ought to be worried to death. We're going to cover that in just a few moments. How do we help them? Paul said, help these ladies. They've labored with me before. Help them. Uh, how do we help them? How do we look at their laboring? Well, number one, we have a labor or a work in the Lord. Verse 3, the Bible says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. That labor word means an intense work. It means to struggle against something. It means to persevere. It means to strive earnestly. Paul never, anywhere in the Bible does Paul ever present a comfortable Christian lifestyle. It's not in there. That's a good place to say amen. It's not in there. It's not in there. The Christian lifestyle on one hand is opposed, and we see it opposed much today. On the other hand, it's a challenge. And uh, Paul is saying, hey, the only way that you can live in victory is through Christ who strengthens you. That's it. There's nowhere else. Uh, you can't live in victory any other way except through Jesus Christ. You don't, uh, uh, let's be honest. If Paul was preaching what most preachers preach today, and that is this, that God loves you and he's got a plan for your life. If Paul preached that, he probably never would have been stoned. He probably never would have been uh, arrested. He probably never would have been killed for his uh, work in the gospel. I mean, who's going to get upset when God got a plan? God loves you and God got a plan for you. And you may put a little smile on it. God loves you and God's got a plan for you. I mean, you don't go to jail for that. No, Paul preached the word of God. And he preached it whether they liked it or not. He still preached it. Uh, you don't go to heaven by your good works. You know that. The sin that we have stained our good works. Uh, we're, we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. And if you, if you look at it, we were and have been sinners. We are sinners now. And I'll give you a little hint. We're going to be sinners in the future until the Lord comes back. Now, there's going to come a day when he's going to come back just as cold red. Every knee going to bow and every tongue confess. And the justification is going to be turned into glorification. And we're going to live without the devil. It's going to be a glorious time. But until then, we're his hands and feet. Uh, salvation is a gift. But somebody had to pay for that gift. Grace is free, but somebody paid to make that grace free. And, and you can't earn it. You can't work your way into heaven. You don't work to be saved. You work because you are saved. You, you, don't, you don't work because you have to. When you get saved, you work because you want to. It's an overflow of a grateful heart. Ah, oh, me. When you're letting your light shine, People see your good works that glorify the Father in heaven. 
it points people toward salvation. It points people toward Jesus Christ. It's a satisfying. There's nothing that you do in this church that is insignificant to the kingdom of God. People may not see it. Nobody may recognize it. But I want to tell you, God knows it. God's got a set of books. And he's keeping those books. Uh, your action, your attempt, you're making an investment when you uh, serve the Lord in the gospel. You're singing, you're teaching, whether you're opening a door or whether you're changing a diaper or giving a track or helping somebody in need there. I, I've seen many people that were, I've had some famous people I've come in contact with. Uh, and you know, without Christ, they can be famous all they want to. They're not happy. They're miserable. I've seen some wealthy people come in contact with. They're wealthy. I mean, they got every toy the world's got to offer. Who could not be happy when you had everything? I mean, you know, there's some things I'd love to have in this life, but they're just junk. <laughs> it don't matter in eternity. But you know what? I've seen some people didn't have a pan to pour water out of, and yet they love Jesus, and they'd give you anything they had. They'd love you, they'd pray for you, they'd encourage you. You go to visit them, and, and you end up getting blessed more than they get blessed. That's serving the kingdom of God. It's an intense work. It's intense. It's not a Sunday school picnic. It's serious. Second thing here, though, that I see is it's teamwork. He said, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor. Uh, with Clement also and with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. You see, uh, the, the yoke is to keep the oxen on the right trail, to make the load lighter and to make it even. And that's what he's saying here. Keep the team on track. Keeping the team on track. Paul said, these women labored with me. And then he said, Clement was a guy that labored with me. And then he says, there's a bunch of other laborers with me. And I don't even know their name, but God knows their name. He's got them written down in a book. Paul believed in teamwork. That's why you'll find Paul and Timothy. You'll find Paul and Silas. You'll find Paul and Barnabas. He believed in teamwork. Guys, I want to tell you, the success of the kingdom of God here in this church does not depend on a pastor. It doesn't depend on a staff member. It doesn't depend on a program. It depends on God. It depends on God. And so it's a teamwork of all of us together because Jesus is Lord over all. Uh, we're part of the team. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, Hey, I sowed the seed, but Apollos came along and watered the seed. But I'll be honest with you, he said, it don't make any difference who sowed, who watered, who cultivated, who... None of that makes any difference because it's God that gives the increase. God is the one that gives the increase. When you see something accomplished here, it's not us. My goodness, it's God. We are what we are by the grace of God. It is God that helps us give the increase. Every person who is a member of Woodland Hills Baptist Church is part of this team. You may just be one, but you're an important one. You're blessed with a gift and a talent. Use it for the glory of God. It's an intense labor. It's also a team labor. But then thirdly, I see here that it's gospel work. We're not working for Texaco. We're not working for Goodyear. We're not working for Komatsu. 
We're working for the King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, he's everything. We're working for him. I love that word gospel. He said uh, in verse 3, they labored with me in the gospel. Gospel means good news. I tell you, the older we get, the better news it is. Brother Aaron sang last week, led us in every day with Jesus, sweeter than the day before. My, my, my. That's an old vacation Bible school song from 100 years ago, but it's still true. Every day with Jesus. You get up, it's a new day. It's sweeter than the day before. Paul went so far as to say in Galatians 1, if someone comes preaching a gospel, even if it's an angel, if they come preaching a gospel that is not the gospel that I preach to you, you get rid of them. You tell them they're false. Let them be accursed is what the Word of God says. You see, there's one gospel. There's one way to go to heaven. There's one way to be saved. There's one way to have eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's through Jesus on the cross. And that's it. That is the gospel. That's the good news. Man, why is the gospel so important? Well, we're sinners. Christ came for sinners. He came to substitute for us. We were on our road to destruction. Yet he came and shed his blood uh, on Calvary so our sins could be washed away. He became our substitute. He satisfied the wrath of God. And then the Bible says they crucified him and they hung him on a cross and put a crown of thorns and a spear in his side, took him down, put him in a borrowed tomb, and three days later he arose, ascended into heaven, and sitting at the right hand of the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit, and he's coming back one day. I am what I am because of the grace of God. It's the world's only hope. There's power in the gospel. I, I don't have to flower it up. I don't have to water it down. In fact, when you water it down, it doesn't become the gospel. It's something different. I, I just need to let it loose. I'll never forget Dr. Criswell. Many, many years ago, I was at his prophet, uh, uh, prophet's uh, conference. He had it every year for preachers. And uh, he, 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 those were the years when the Bible was being debated. Is it really the inerrant word of God? I mean, you know, people will say, well, it's the word of God, but it could have some errors in it. No, I'm telling you, it's the inerrant word of God. And old Chris was standing on that stage at that old First Baptist Church, walked over there, and he said, if you have a lion over here, and people are mocking that lion, and they're saying, that ain't a real lion. You can't really trust that lion. He said, quit trying to argue with people and tell them what it is. Open the cage and turn him loose. <laughs> Amen? Let me tell you, the Word of God is profitable. It, 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 it's for our good. It's inerrant. It is true. Romans 1 says it's a power of God unto salvation. Now, there's labor here. There's work here. But there's also some garbage here. There's some waste in this scripture. Paul was very close to these ladies undoubtedly. One day he worked with them. They were fellow laborers together with Paul. Now, all we know about them is they were quarreling. They were disgusted with one another. Uh, you know, 
Everybody in the church knew it. Everybody knew it. Now, I, I came up with a couple of things that God just showed me that I, I can't prove it happened, but you can't prove it didn't. <laughs> the first thing God showed me is there are no perfect churches. If you ever find one, don't you join it because you're going to mess it up. <laughs> there are no perfect churches. This was a wonderful church. This was a church at Philippi. Paul said it was the best church. It was the best giving church that he had. It was a tremendous, tremendous church, yet there were some lumps in the gravy. Brother Mark and I were in a revival at Ebenezer number 9 out in the woods of Louisiana. We went into that house. And the lady had a big old brown stain on her, on her uh, apron. Mark said, I don't think this is from God. Anyway, we got there, and, and uh, man, she had big steak with gravy and onions in it. I mean, it, it looked really good. And about the second bite Mark took, it had a lump. And he wasn't sure if it was a hairball or a lump of flour. <laughs> See, you have something that looks good, but it's going to have a lump in it every now and then. Huh? <laughs> These, let, let me just think a minute here. <laughs> These two women were probably best friends at one time in their life. They were probably a lot alike. They may have been leaders. They may have been teachers. I, I don't know. We don't know that. All we know is they quarreled. But I would suspect after 50 years in the ministry, I could tell you some things about them. I've never met them. Number one, I bet they used to sit together in church. They'd sit right over here together in church. They were, hallelujah. They, they just love God. They loved They just worship the Lord. And they just praise the Lord. And something came between them. Something came between them. And suddenly the two that were sitting there, one of them comes over here and they're sitting over here. Oh, my. And somebody comes in. And they say, hey. You're sitting in the wrong seat. Now, we don't have no assigned seats here. But I want to tell you, the people who are here, who try to get here early, they sit in the same seat over and over. You know, if somebody says, that's my seat, just tell them, well, I thought my britches had my seat on it. So just sit down and be ready. Anyway, somebody comes by and says, you, you, you don't really sit over there. Why are you sitting over here? Now, I'll tell you what else I've learned in churches. There's no need of being mad if everybody in the church don't know you're mad. Huh? I mean, if you're going to be mad and nobody knows it, it doesn't do any good. So if, if you're going to be mad, you want everybody to know it. So this lady says, you used to sit over here. What happened? I can't tell you anything about it right now. But if you'll meet me at Cracker Barrel after church, I'll fill you in. I'll tell you what's wrong. I'll tell you all about it. Oh, listen. There's no perfect churches. Second thing is, I've discovered it's easy to disagree. I've met some people in my life before that told me straight to my face, Preacher, I vote against everything in the business meeting because I think everything needs to have at least one no vote. I said, well, boy, that's a spiritual truth I've never been able to dig into. <laughs> Have you got a scripture to back that up? No. 
You don't have to be filled with the Holy Ghost to disagree. Pastor was telling me, and now this is the truth. When we had our conference, and I would met this guy, I don't know him that well, but he was a sweet guy and had a sweet wife. And we met at the convention, and I said, hey, how's so-and-so? He was near his church, and he said, well, they run him off. I said, they run that guy off? Man, he couldn't hurt a fly. He was just a sweet guy. And he said, you ain't going to believe it, Charles. He said, they, uh, uh, he said, the guy come by, and I encouraged him, and I said, let me ask you, why did they run you off? And he said, well, it goes back to one Sunday. We had homecoming. You ever been in a homecoming service? Now, we don't have that here. I wouldn't mind having one every once in a while. But, uh, but in East Texas, and especially when you get over toward Alabama, Georgia, uh, South Carolina, and those areas, North Carolina, homecoming comes once a year, buddy, and you better not miss it. And it don't matter who's preaching. That don't make any difference. You've got to have a good singing group. That's all that matters. And they, if you go by those churches, now in East Texas, they're poor people. They build church uh, tables out of wood. But when you get over on the East, they build them out of concrete. Now, they only use them one time a year. And some of them, I mean, you need, some of them have little porches on them. Only use them one time a year. But it's homecoming. Everybody comes. And all the women make their favorite dishes. Ain't nobody going down and buying bushes baked beans at homecoming. They make homemade dishes. And he said, I was standing in line. I let everybody go first. I was talking to my wife. And we started in line getting our food, you know, and everything together. And if you know anything about homecoming, usually the women who make the dishes serve their own dishes. They want everybody to know who made that dish. Homemade. He said, I was standing in line, and I came down through there, and this dear faithful lady in the church says, I've got fresh butter beans. And the pastor said, I don't like butter beans. <laughs> and because he said, I don't like butter beans, she was hooked up with the right families in the church. Have you ever been in one of them things like that? He ended up getting run off because he don't like butter beans. <laughs> And you say, preacher, that's crazy. That's how crazy the world is. My soul have mercy. There are people dying all around us, going to a devil's hell. There are people in this church that needs encouragement and all. And here's two women over here quarreling and fussing. And instead of using their gifts to glorify God, they ain't doing nothing but tearing things down. Mm. It's easy to disagree. We... Uh, did, did you notice here in chapter 4 that the problem they had is not even mentioned? You say, well, well, Paul was probably scared of these women. Paul wasn't ever scared of no woman. Paul wasn't ever scared. To, read the book of Corinthians. He calls sin out by name, sin by sin by sin. You know why it's not mentioned? It's so trivial and so menial that they don't even mention what it is. Isn't that something that's quarreling fuss over? Listen, they're wasting their talents and they're wasting their gifts. You, you, some of you, you've only got one life to live. This is not a dress rehearsal. It's the real thing. Get the chip off your shoulder. Get your feelings off your sleeves. Stop feeling sorry and for goodness sake, don't pout. 
Stop being so touchy. Don't waste your gifts and ruin your testimony when the world around us needs you and the church inside needs you. Let it go. Turn around and move on. Help people. Matthew chapter 12. There was a demon-possessed man. He was blind. The Bible says he was mute. Could not see, could not speak. The Bible says that Jesus healed him. He was able to see. He was able to speak. The Bible says that the people there gathered there fell down and said, this is the Son of God. And they worshiped him. But sitting over here was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the Hebrew courts and everything. And they said, he didn't cast that demon out from God. He cast that demon out from Beelzebub. He cast that demon out in the name of a devil. And don't you know every once in a while, the Lord just looks down and just wants to scratch his head. Now, you know, I've been to two county fair in the hall calling. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, he, he looks over at him and he said, guys, what you're saying don't even make any sense. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Why in the world would the devil want to cast one of his own demons out of a person? Don't even make sense. Hmm. Do you know there's no strife in hell? They've got one single purpose, and that's to carry as many people to hell, to destroy as many families, to destroy as many churches as they can. That's what the devil was set here that he has been doing, he is doing, and he'll do until Jesus comes back again. We can't, uh, can't do a lot about their salvation, but if we can get Christians in the church to start quarreling, if we can get Christians in the church to start being jealous of one another. Mm. Let me tell you this morning, there's no room for that in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all one. You joined last week, you're one just like you've been here 30 years. We're all one. Some people can teach better than others. Suck it up and leave it alone. Thank God they can teach. I've sat on some teachers, didn't have no business teaching. Now, I'm not referring here. We've got some great teachers. I'm not referring that here. But I've seen some Lulus. I'm just telling you, the kingdom of God is too big for that. We've got too many people that need to be saved. We've got too many people. We're, we're a diverse crowd this morning. How in the world can some of y'all drive a Ford? And I can understand that. They're great automobiles. Some of you drive a Chevrolet, and I can understand that. Uh, they're great government cars. Some of you have even, some of you have even slipped to drive a Dodge, you know? And I can begin to understand that. There's a lot of fluff in there. I like that, yeah, yeah. But, but we don't all drive the same car. We don't all wear the same clothes. We don't all, my son loves to go to these musicals. Uh, don't make a lick of sense. I don't know how in the world you get anything out of it, but he loves to do it. I, I want to go to a gospel singing is what I want to go to. I, I don't care anything about Bo Beethoven or Mozart or any of those guys. We, we've got different, well, we root for different teams. Some of you already have your cowboy stickers up for tonight. <laughs> 
and you're not going to be at church tonight because you're going to be watching the Cowboys. And I want to tell you, if you don't come to church tonight and pray and have worship, them Cowboys are going to lose. I'm going to tell you in the morning. I'm going to tell you in the morning. You ought to have been at church. They might could have won. We like different music. We like different preaching styles. We, we, we're all diverse. We're all different. But could we not agree that Jesus is the virgin born of the living God who came to save sinners and died in agony and shame, buried uh, on a, uh, after the cross and rose again the third day and the Spirit of God sent down the Holy Spirit to take care of us and he ascended into heaven to sit at the right throne one day to uh, come back. Couldn't we agree on that? Amen. Then let's don't quarrel. Get it out of your system. Man, get on track with Jesus. You, there is no way. You can't tell me that you are, are, are fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus Christ and have a bad attitude. You can't tell me that. I had a guy one day, Becky knows him well. Oh, he gave me some misery. He prayed four hours a day. I finally told him one day, I said, you're praying to the wrong God. Ain't nobody pray four hours in the Lord Jesus Christ and be the attitude you got. You make sure you're praying to the right one. I got to get on here. We're almost out of time. This one is short. This one is short. We have a forewarning. All we know about this ladies, these ladies, is that they fussed. I want to ask you a question. If they sum up your life in one sentence... What would it be? I mean, somebody's going to preach your funeral. And they're going to sum it up in one sentence. What would it be? He was always against everything. He never liked nobody. He didn't like the preacher we had until we got the preacher we got. And then now he don't like the preacher we got because he liked the preacher we had. <laughs> Amen? What would it be like? If somebody could sum up your life and say, look, he wasn't perfect. He was still a sinner saved by grace. But I'll tell you, there's no doubt he loved God with all of his heart. Man, isn't that a better testimony? Let me go to number four. We're through. We see a worry here. There's some things that we need to worry about. The Bible says, and Paul's saying here, that God knows their names. These labors, they're written in the book of life. You can have your name on a marquee. I told both services, if you got enough money, uh, I'll print your name in the bulletin every week in bold print. How much money you give depends on how big your name gets. I mean, we throw out an 8 by 10 bulletin, you know, with your name on it. We can holler it from the, it won't do you any good, but we can do all that. It doesn't matter what your name is. Jesus said, you, you, I've used this illustration, but it is so good. In Luke chapter 10, the disciples, don't you know they come back just with a breath of fresh air? I mean, it's like this on Sunday night. When somebody gets saved, you can tell when a team's getting out of their car, coming back into the church. Whew, they had a good visit. Somebody got saved. I mean, the disciples are coming in there. Whew, what a day, Lord. Have mercy. 
Even the demons were subject to us. We healed people and we uh, helped people and encouraged people. And whew, I mean, it was just a great day. You remember what the Lord told him in Luke 10? He said, uh, hey, all those things are all right. But what you ought to be rejoicing about is that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. See, it really doesn't matter what you do. If your name's not written in that book, mm, you need to be worried. At the end of life, your name needs to be written down in glory. Somebody here needs to worry about that. I'm going to tell you something. I'll be honest with you. Uh, there's not enough Xanax in the world to calm you down if you walk out of here lost. That ought to worry you sick. I'm praying it does. I'd rather you get sick, throw up all night, have a ventilator put on and get saved and just sit here. And, uh, listen, our, our whole world today almost seems spoiled. We, we seem like, hey, we have good services, everything's great, so we don't have to do anything special. Uh, yes, we've got to work to stay on the same track. Because a Euodius and a Sintiki can separate a church. Revelation 20 says one day there's going to be a great white throne judgment. Those without Christ who've never been saved are going to that judgment. Uh, fire never ceases. Worm never dies. Thirst never quenches. Eternal separation from loving and holy God. No, 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 no God there. No, no love there. No chance to ever be saved there. Hell, according to Revelation, is going to be emptied out like you'd empty a garbage can. There are going to be three books there at least. One's going to be the Holy Bible. It'll be there. The other one's going to be the Book of Works. The Book of Works, we don't have time to go through all of these, but the Book of Works is for those people who are lost who tried to work their way to heaven, who thought they could get there. And they're going to be told, no, you can't get there. And then there's going to be the book of life. Every person whose name is not written in the book of life. They'll no longer see Jesus as Savior or Lamb of God. They'll see Jesus as judge of the world. And they will be bound up and chained with the rest of the demons of hell. And they'll be cast into the lake of fire. You say, preacher, I object to that. We'll object all you want to. Why do you object? I hear people tell me this every week. Some tell you. A holy God, a loving God, not going to send anybody to hell. And you know what I tell them? I agree. I totally agree. I guarantee you, I agree. The good news is that, that Jesus has done everything he can to keep you from going to hell. Let, let me just ask you this. If, if I had terminal cancer, the doctor says, you're finished. You've got about another week. I go in for my last visit. He comes in smiling. First thing on my mind, Doc, why are you smiling when I'm dying? He said, i got some good news for you. i got the pills. The FDA just approved them. They've been tested and tried, and these pills, if you'll take them, it will cure your cancer. You will live. And I take those pills. 
and I throw them on the floor and stomp them and then kick them as hard as I can. Let me ask you something. The next week when I die, is it the doctor's fault that I died? I mean, he had the pills there that would cure me. Listen, don't come up in here saying it's God's fault you went to hell. You got to crawl over the cross. You got to crawl over the churches. You got to crawl over Christian television. You got to crawl over Christian radio. You got to crawl over Bible studies, vacation Bible studies, backyard uh, Bible clubs and everything. You got to crawl over all of that just so you can get to hell. It's not God's fault you go there. It's your fault. I had this thing, but it's, oh, there it is. No, there it ain't. I tell you, I love these things. Here he is. Let me, let me read a song to you that came out when I was much younger. And uh, it says, I never thought I'd see the day when you came to kneel and pray. I never thought I'd see the church house filled to capacity. And outside the door there's more who have never come before. Oh, what a shame that Jesus came one day before. You tried to live the best you could. You, you tried to do the things you should. But when it came to serving God, you said, I still have time to wait. Now it's all turned around. Time for Jesus now you found. How sad to think that you found the time but one day too late. You came one day too late. Yes, just one day too late. Jesus came and you've been left behind. Yesterday you couldn't find time for Jesus on your mind. You finally came to call his name one day too late. Folks, if you're not saved this morning, you ought to be worried. You ought to be worried. I'm telling you, I believe with my heart, God is calling some of you. You're saying, I can't do that. I can't do that. People are going to talk. People are going to... Listen, the true believers in this church will shout hallelujah and praise the Lord if you get saved. I don't care how many years you've been a member of a church. I don't care how many years. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. I'm telling you, the people of God will rejoice if you get saved. We ought to look at everything the Lord gives us in this earth. When I see a river flowing, now, I have to admit, it's not many of them here in East Texas. They look like mud holes. But when you get a little further east of the Mississippi, you'll find rivers and streams flowing. And I, I think of that as God's love that's just flowing. He continually flows. He's, he's knocking on your heart's door today. When I look at the flowers and the petals, I think of the fact that God's love bloomed on that cross. He loved us so much. When I see a mountain, I look at it that God's love is built up so high, he's so grand that he shows us the way to eternal life in heaven. 
God's appealing to you this morning. Jesus is appealing to you this morning. The Holy Spirit's appealing to you this morning. And this country preacher is appealing to you this morning. Would you come to Jesus? Would you come to Jesus? Maybe you're here and you're saved. You need a church home. If this is where God wants you, then come. Come, go to work for the glory of the Lord. If it's not where God wants you, find where God does want you. I guarantee you one thing. He wants you somewhere serving him faithfully. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, asking you, Lord Jesus, to save souls today. Oh, God, don't let people walk out here unchanged. God, I know that, Lord, we, we do this same thing every week. We, we get ready for, 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 for the invitation, and people start moving, and things try to distract us. But I pray today in the name of Jesus that nothing would distract anybody, that for these next few moments we could at least pray for lost people. We could pray for people who are hurting and need, need uh, encouragement. God, I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts and that we would be obedient to your call. Whatever you want us to do, it's not for us to decide, it's for you to decide. And then us to decide if we'll do it or not. Have your way, Lord Jesus. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.